0: Father God, we are so grateful, so grateful that that it has been a day and a day and a day where your love has been demonstrated, where your grace has been just showered upon us. We celebrate each and every day, and we look forward to the day of your coming, Lord God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your unconditional grace and love, Lord God. And we love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen first service i came up here and, and barely could pray i was crying so hard and, and i was gonna say I, i'm sorry but then i said i'm not sorry so tough and uh, this one i'm i'm ready it's the song won't disarm me and i'll be fine over there and and um so i got to wipe my tears <laughs> again that hit me um Powerful stuff there, powerful stuff. Thank you to the choir. I know that they're off and joining the crowd and stuff, but the band and the choir, they choose to come and exercise their gifts and invest their time uh, in in a ministry that just blesses us and, and brings delight to the Lord, so thank you for that. Okay, where are we? Well, work, I have to be honest that work has been crazy for me uh, for these last, I thought, week, two, three, four weeks. It's been quite a run for me personally myself. I'm not complaining, it's just a reality. We've been getting ready for yesterday's Link projects. And by the way, you guys were awesome and amazing out there. Um, yeah, just I know Ron mentioned it earlier, but uh, I kind of had a chance to work out and float through three sites that were kind of close together but then bumped into people later and had a chance to go by. And just what an amazing thing. And that's why we do these sorts of things, just to be able to to put out there that Jesus loves in the way that he does. So great job. But that that fell under my jurisdiction to kind of help make that happen. So that was some work involved in that. And then working for the run for the community, and that comes up in just two weeks. And you certainly have an opportunity, as Ron mentioned, to help with that as well. And I've been meeting with a lot of ministry leaders because we're refining and working on how can we make ourselves more effective in what we do. And uh, oh yeah, try to squeeze in a little bit of time to prepare for today's talk would be helpful, right? And uh, and then on top of that, try to be a loving husband and father <laughs> and on and on. you right. Go, 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 go. Whew, you know, it's been crazy. I need to fulfill God's call. Please, my boss and coworkers, try to give my assistants, I have two of them, what they need so they can do their job well, serve you. That's the church. And, uh, and once again, try to prove to God that I can be a capable or at least somewhat capable pastor and leader. And oh yes, oh yes, there's the family component and all that goes into it. It's a bunch. So, so I worked like crazy to do it all. And then I bump into today's topic from Galatians chapter 3. Free to rest. Free to rest. Like really? Free to rest? When? I love it. What would that look like during a season when by necessity it's pedaled to the metal rpms revving to the rev line non-stop to the red line nonstop. it's just going on so much work to do so many demands so much so little time rest free to rest at a time like this <laughs> god are you joking is this a joke so so i decided to take today's topic seriously i could have increased my workload and stress level even more I could have increased my workload and stress level even more by by, um, investing and spending the needed hours on today's talk. Thank you. But I decided to rest instead. I wanted to take the idea of being free to rest seriously so I could model it for you here. And so instead of spending that time on my talk, I decided that I would show it to you and see what rest is really like. The only thing that would make this any better is maybe like a glass of iced tea or something like that. But I am learning and modeling rest. Oh, hey, look at this. Ah, baby, thank you. Clean. Ah. So this is what it's all about. This is some good rest here. I'm going to put this here. Now, I I realize I don't have to work hard on my talk to make God love me more because he couldn't love me any more than he already does. And I don't have to work hard on my talk to try to prove to anybody that I'm a dedicated, capable pastor or even a, a somewhat gifted teacher or something like that. I don't have to do any of those things to prove anything because my security is in Jesus. And he calls me to rest, and that's a beautiful thing. So if you want to open your Bible to Galatians 3 and read to yourself, <laughs> the first 14 verses, feel free. And uh, it'll, be, it'll be beautiful. I'm kind of doing a rest thing here. So, so uh, we run into a bit of a problem here, as you can see, though, because some of you are thinking, well, John, that's great that you're resting, but for us... This is turning into uh, what's next here. And so here is my problem. Do I work at least enough to make this worth your while to come this morning because I want to honor you in that process? But then if it turns into perfectionism or on my part, a work really hard that becomes very stress and work focused then I end up blowing it and I actually do against what I'm actually teaching about this morning. So here we are in this point of uh, impasse. <laughs> but I find that I'm the one resting right now more than you. <laughs> so... The problem that results here through this whole situation is a conflict because work and rest seem to come up together in life a whole lot of times in many different ways. And they, they, they coexist and they almost seem like they can't. But you've heard the expression, work hard, play. Hard, right, that's there. And so there's one example right off the bat that you bump into this kind of a strange thing. Because in order to play hard, you you know, the acknowledgement that you have to work hard. To be able to afford to play hard, you have to work hard to earn the money so that you can. But then you work so hard that you're now too tired and or don't have the time in order to really play hard unless you end up burning out in the process so kind of conflict here we actually see this in jesus's words himself in matthew 11 jesus throws out these ideas that almost are like they don't fit when he says oh come to me all you who are weary those of you that are just are heavy laden and i'm going to give you rest and we go oh this is poetry right here take my yoke upon you what Because I was just about ready to hit the hammock there, Jesus. Come to me, you are burned, and oh, that sounds great, and I will give you rest. Uh, Take my yoke, your yoke, that sounds like work, upon you, and learn from me. And he starts talking about himself here. For I am lowly of heart, and I am gentle and lowly of heart, and and so you're going to learn to be like me, and you will find rest for your soul. There it again, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I hear yoke twice, I hear rest twice, and I'm like, Jesus, this is pretty, but what? The book of Galatians itself, which we're spending this time on here over these last bunch of weeks and and for the next few weeks it himself seems to have this contrast here, because for the first two chapters of Galatians, which we've covered in the last set of weeks, talks about really all, the concept of grace is brought up, and Paul spends time defending his own apostleship. He says, hey, I didn't grow up around Jesus. In fact, I persecuted and killed the Jesus followers, but God's grace came upon me, and I am truly a called, and a sent one, an apostle. And then here at chapter three, for chapters three and four, which will begin today, he spends time defending the gospel, this gospel of grace, and it expands, and it does all that. So you have this beautiful concept of rest and grace that's there. And then chapters 5 and 6, it's all about the work. Now, we're going to get there and talk about it. We'll contextualize it in the weeks to come. But I want to quote one verse for you out of Galatians 6. Galatians 6.9 says this. Remember, this book that's full of just the grace and the rest, what we're talking about today, yet here's this conflict or seeming conflict. Galatians six nine says, Let us not grow weary in doing good. Does that sound like work? For at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Sounds like work to me. Well, the same guy that spends four chapters—of course, he didn't—we broke it into chapters, but he spends this whole portion of the letter telling us about the importance of grace and all these things important of rest. And then he goes on to say, "Now you got to work for it." Well, maybe not work for it, but what is this saying? It contains rest and work, and we see it in, in so many places. So, what is this all about? How do we really make it make sense? Well, I want to, in a moment, I wanted to visually kind of get things started here. Uh, But this conflict, or seeming conflict that comes up, I wanted to explain it a little bit. The reality is we look at rest, that's a beautiful picture, but some of us just don't rest very well, do we? We have a hard time resting. and Why is that? Um, a number of reasons. Maybe because we have too much to do, there's just no time for that. Maybe it's the fear of missing out. Are you familiar with the word FOMO or the acronym FOMO? It actually made it into the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013, fear of missing out. And it's been used on a global scale so much that expression, fear of missing out, that FOMO is actually in the dictionary as of 2013, in the Oxford Dictionary. It's just a real thing. You're living your life FOMO. fear of, The fear of missing out that comes up here. So maybe I, don't, I, I can't rest because I might miss something here in the process. Maybe that you're convinced that your resting should come later and even should come even later than that. Someday you'll be able to rest. Or maybe some of you fear that if you start to rest, you won't be able to stop. <laughs> you know, and It's just going to turn into laziness and and, and you never want to get up. So you don't want to go there. But here's what I hope you see today. I kind of want to present something that will then um, kind of branch out through today's talk. Rest doesn't mean that we never do anything. We just don't have to do anything. We, we just don't have to do those things. So it's about a motivation. Rest prepares us to work in a sense. You see, we can rest spiritually and fully enjoying the, the face of the spirit and the rest of the spirit. And, and then our work can come as a response to our resting in Him. And the key, again, really is our motivation to this. I want to look at the idea. I sat down here and said I didn't prepare for a talk. Fortunately, I did. Squeezing a little bit of time, and we'll see where the Lord takes it. Uh, I want to talk about the idea of preparing my talk. I didn't have to prepare for hours in order to make God happy with me. I didn't have to do that. I don't even have to do that to feel better about myself. And isn't that a battle sometimes? A lot of things we do just so we can feel better about ourselves, either just by ourselves or in comparison to somebody else. But as I rest in God for my growth and my progress in Jesus, I get excited about the chance to maybe help somebody else understand that rest. And uh, I can choose to let God work in and through me in order to be used by God, maybe in your life, even this morning, hopefully. And, and then that's a win for all of us. So we have this idea of rest and this idea of work and actually free to rest. It doesn't say free to work this morning, so relax, okay? Here's where we're at. We're going to look at the free to rest, but I have to bring up both because of what seems to be the contrast here. We're going to take a look at how Galatians 3 talks about this as we discover how I can be free to rest. Now, you don't have to do anything today. If you want to open your Bible to Galatians 3, you're welcome to. If you want to open your outline and take notes, you're welcome to. God's not going to love you more if you do, but it might be helpful or handy for you to do that. You can rest today. Is that fair enough? Here's where we are. So again, we're starting Galatians 3, verse 1, and uh, we'll work through the first 14 verses as well as in your outline. Kind of the heading here is I can be free to rest knowing that, first of all, the gospel begins with Jesus giving slash offering me salvation. It begins with Jesus giving slash offering me salvation. Now, I first put down giving when I wrote this point down. Uh, when I did it. And I realized it's a giving, but really he offers it to us. And I put both words down because I could say it's a gift, but always it's an offer. He's, he's not going to just throw a gift your way. The offer is here. It is truly a gift, meaning it's free, but it's an offer that you have to choose to receive or not. It's your option to receive it. He's not going to force it on you. You have to take this tough and you're going to enjoy it too. You know, it's a gift, but it's, it's offered to us. And it's this concept of, of salvation of new and eternal life. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about this idea in the last bunch of weeks since it Appears at the beginning of Galatians a lot. In fact, it just saturates this this opening of Galatians repeatedly. It's there. But it's important enough to cover it again. So, really briefly, because we've talked about it last bunch of weeks, the gospel, which means the good news, that's really what gospel means uh, grammatically, is it's briefly explained. Well, Ron talked about it last week and defined the word justification. So if you were here, I'm going to remind you. If you weren't, it's bringing you up to speed. It's a big kind of a theology word, but it simply means if you're justified, you are declared righteous. The reality is none of us by ourselves are righteous, not even close. So when you're justified, it's the gift that God offers you to say, if you receive it, I'm going to declare you righteous, right? And I'm going to put Jesus's righteousness, Jesus's perfection on you and say, that's you. Your sin is not seen. You are declared righteous. You are a righteous person. That's the term justified. And that is the good news, and it's really good news, by the way, obviously, in the process of free gift. Galatians 3, verse 2 says, let me ask you, and it's a rhetorical question, by the way. He's he's springing them on. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer, the obvious answer is, you received it by faith. He's reminding them, you received this by faith. This, is, this was the gift that was there. And so the gospel, it begins with the free gift that we receive by faith. No work involved, absolutely at all. That's here. This concept of being justified. I simply receive the gift, receive the gift, and he declares us righteous. But here's where Galatians 3 takes another step, and this leads us to point 2. The gospel is more than a one-time gift. It's more than a one-time gift. It absolutely is a one-time gift. It just doesn't stop there. And I think this is where we've lost it, because someone would say, well, you're going to share the gospel with that person. We're thinking about sharing Jesus so someone can come into the family. Uh, The gospel is that gift of Jesus dying for us, as we just sang, for him dying to save us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, give us new life. It's that, but it's actually more than that. See, the good news isn't just that one-time event, it's ongoing, and it leads us to a place of rest in our lives as we follow Jesus. It isn't just, hey, I give you the new life, you get to rest for a second now, get up and get busy and start working uh, in the process. So two verses, Galatians three three and 3.5, 3.3, again, uh, it's a little bit of a rhetorical question. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, remember you received the free gift by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You started one way through the gift, and now you're trying to work over here in Galatians 3.5. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and that's God, and works miracle among, miracles among you, meaning he's doing all these things right now actively, does he do so by works of the law when you follow the law or by hearing with faith? And he's just simply making a point that the gospel begins with the free gift of salvation. No work on our part at all involved. And it continues with the good news that our progress in becoming like Jesus, this process, um, as we live our lives, it comes from him and not our own work. Okay, you don't work for that either. The good news isn't just for our salvation but it's for our sanctification. There's another big theology word, but it's time to catch this because the Bible has it in it. So justified means declared righteous. And you now have permission to just rest for a second because we're going to talk about sanctification. Go a little theology here, okay? Positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. Some of you are eating it up going, I'm going to take notes. Some of you are going, oh boy, you can rest. You don't have to take notes, right? Free to rest here. I think this is fairly important to understand. We think the gospel is that gift that leads us into God's family and then it's done and the gospel is not just that. It gets us into the family. It's that justified word declaring you righteous, the forgiveness, the new life and then it goes to work in our... Sanctification process. Sanctified is being made holy. It's it's our process of being more like Jesus. In common terms, now there's two terms they're using. You see both in scripture. There's positional sanctification, and it's up here. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, your position. You are a lot of verses all throughout here, but you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You are you are an heir of of the God heir of, of the kingdom. You are all of these things. Positionally, you are seated with God. You are perfect. That's part of the declared righteous part. So you're position is one of holiness and you are holy that's up here the reality is though when you first met jesus you're down here for me it was lower than that but i can't reach any farther right so we're down here and the positional we're here but progressively we start in our lives becoming more like jesus not through trying really hard, although we often do that, but as we allow the Spirit to change us, He changes us to be more like Jesus. And so there's this process over time where I do the ups and downs because we grow a little bit, and then we kind of lapse a little bit, and we grow a little bit, and we kind of lapse a little bit. Has that been your life? That's been mine. You know, I'm in a growing season. I'm kind of in a flat season. And what happens over time is we're getting more and more, if I could use the word holy, more and more like Jesus, more and more tuned into the spirit, whatever terms you want to use. Positionally, we're already there. But our lives, the day-to-day life, the progressive sanctification is one that does this. And it's a beautiful process. And here's what you need to know. This is not work. You got here positionally. As a gift, through faith, you just, in belief, and we'll talk about belief in a minute. This part is also through faith, not through hard work. Okay, I'm just going to say that's what scripture is telling us. He said, you began with the gift and through grace. Well, why are, you, why are you thinking now that you have to work now? Almost like I have to work to prove to God that it was worth it that he saved me? Now, God, I'm going to prove that, that you made a good choice, <laughs> that you gave me the gift or something. And that That's there. See, the good news isn't just for our salvation, but it's our, for our sanctification, our living our life to be like Jesus. And uh, I can be free to rest knowing that, third, that I can fall for the Galatians trap too. It's easy to be foolish in this area. Now, this is really where ev- the, the crux of this message comes, really the, the, the point where it all comes together, because the first part builds on it, then we're going to look at the verses that follow that will all point to the middle. So if you catch anything today, catch this it's the foolish part <laughs> that I can fall for this trap too. You see, I want to take a look at where the Galatians blew it because they did. And, and we'll look at that and we'll laugh a little bit at them or whatever. But, but we're going to see that it's also where we blow it ourselves uh, as individuals, even as a church, we can fall. First, the Galatians. Now, I skipped verse one when we started. We started with verse two to kind of fit the logical flow. But here's how verse one starts. He finishes his defense of his apostleship, and now he's moving to the gospel. And he starts with this beautiful verse that says, "This, you stupid people." (laughs) He begins the book of Galatians doing things like, "My dear brothers in Galatia," by now he's worked into he's saying, "What are you thinking? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you high? Are you crazy?" It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I see Paul almost like wanting to grab him and slap him. What are you thinking? That's what's going on here. And then Galatians 3, 4, a couple of verses later, again, we read the few, other few verses, but did you suffer so many things in vain if it did, it was in vain? In other words, he said, you met Jesus because you saw and you believed so much in your faith and was in him so much that you suffered. You were persecuted. It was tough being a follower of Jesus, but you did it because you knew this was the real deal. And it was just, hey, spirit, get me through this. He said, but now you're trying to go back and live the old ways and follow a righteous bunch of laws. Lost- what was this all about? Was this in vain? Well, if indeed it was in vain, it really wasn't. He's reminding him not only what you saw, but what you experienced said something different than what you're doing now. You foolish people. Right, and so that 's his approach to the Galatians saying you're just crazy, what are you thinking? You started with faith, and yet you 're leaving it, and we can sit here and shake our head at the Galatians and go, Gosh, if i 'd been there and seen Jesus, you know, and all that stuff, what were they thinking? <laughs> just exactly what you and I think, just exactly what 's here because we can say we can we can look at them and say they 've blown it or whatever, shake our heads, but the reality is we struggle with the very same thing. we trust God if you 've done this because you have to uh, receive the gift but if you've done it you trust god for their free gift of salvation you receive that and we love how unconditional god's love is but then we start working like crazy to prove to god that he made a good choice when he saved us we begin our christian life with grace but we turn it into foolish reliance on ourselves now it's about me and i've got to work And here's why we fall so easily here. It's counterintuitive to most of the rest of life. We live our lives in a reward system that rewards what you put into things, right? In area after area of life, we experience this. So if you're in school and you study hard for a test, what's the most likely result? A good grade, right? The harder your study, probably the better that you're gonna do. If you play a musical instrument and you practice it a lot, you're probably gonna get better, right? Maybe even listenable. <laughs> People aren't going to, you know, grumble so much. If you, if you play a sport and you practice a sport repeatedly, any sort of repetition and practice, it's usually you're going to get better and better. It just happens, right? What you put into it is what you get out of it. Am I making sense to you? Unless you play a sport like golf and then it just doesn't matter, right? Because <laughs> you can practice like crazy and it still goes... Now I don't play, I've just heard that from y'all a bunch, you know. I've just heard that from people in the process. But so, so that's what a lot of life is. If you want a good a result, good a, get a good result, what do you do in life? You work hard. And if you want a better result, you work even harder. It just makes sense. You wanna if you wanna get a promotion or raise at work, do you work harder or less? I thought I'd take the day off today, boss. And by the way, can I get promoted? Probably not, right? So that's what life seems to be built in us. And here's why we struggle just like the Galatians. We receive the free gift of eternal life, that justification, that cleansing, all the, all the stuff that goes on there. When we say yes to Jesus' offer, you can do that at any time. And then we figure that God may say that our sanctification is up to the Spirit, but really He wants us to work for it, just like everything else in life, right? The harder you work, the better the return. So work hard at it. And you even come to church sometimes and here. Doesn't it seem like they're out front saying, I just need to work, I need to pray more, I need to read the Bible more, I need to serve more, I need to give more money, I need to lead more people to Jesus, I need to, 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 I need to. Am I taking notes? I need to take notes. Except this morning John said I didn't have to. Well, let me do a quick test. How many of you feel that God loves you more when you read the Bible and pray regularly? How about when you give money to the church, you feel like God goes, oh yeah, thanks, I feel better towards you. How about when you serve, go out and do something, either at the church or out in the community, you feel like, oh yeah, I'm pleasing God even more, he loves me better. Now, I'm going to pause and say this, you may say you don't believe those things make God love you more, and that's great. You may say that because, well John, I believe what you said earlier. God couldn't love me any more than he already does. And by the way, that's absolutely true. God could not love you any more than he already does. It's an absolute truth. And you could say, I believe that. But let me follow up with a statement or a question here to kind of test yourself if what you believe in your head is what you believe in your heart. Let me ask you this. Why do you feel guilty sometimes when you don't do those things? Oh, man, I haven't read my Bible Yesterday or today? In fact, gosh, it's—I'm kind of embarrassed to say—it's been like a week or more. In fact, I'm not even sure where it is in my house. And I just haven't been—just haven't been praying much lately. Oh, I couldn't make it to the serve thing yesterday. But here's why—I got to explain why. Do any of those feelings ever come up to you? You kind of have that—oh man, I wish I could give money, but I just financially—oh man, mmm, and, and ah. If any of those feelings resonate with you at all then you don't believe that God couldn't love you more or that others won't respect you more or somehow that you're doing those things will earn you a better standing. You'll feel better about yourself in someone else's eyes or in God's eyes because that's where those feelings come from. They come from a faulty belief system that's there. You see, somewhere is this feeling that if I do all these things, then I'll be a good Christian, so I just got to do them more. Because in life, the more I do, the better the result. So if I want to be a pretty good Christian, I'll do this. But if I want to be a really good Christian, I'll do this. Tell me, sign me up. What can I do more of so I can be a super Christian? The answer is right here. It's not out there spinning your wheels on your own performance treadmill, trying to make something happen and prove something to somebody where God's going, would you stop? Would you stop and rest? be still, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Sees striving is another translation, know that I am God. Would you shut up and spill your water? <sighs> Thankfully used water and not lemonade or something. Sorry, Dave. Would you just stop and understand that this is a place of rest? That that yes, out of a place of rest, God's gonna lead us to some activity that's gonna be a blessing, but my motivation is not to somehow earn and feel better, like, ah, man, I've been reading my Bible a lot lately. Yeah. No, no, somehow my motivation for what I'm doing is gonna trigger me in the right direction. Do you get trapped there? Because I do, N- not on the hammock, but in that, oh, I would feel better if, and oh, I, and, and, and if so, Paul would say to you and to us something like this You foolish Twin Cities Churchian! Are you crazy? <laughs> you began in grace. Why do you feel like you have to work now to take steps to get ahead? God is simply saying, rest, lie down in the hammock, rest, receive the grace of God, not just once for your salvation, which many of us believe, but in an ongoing fashion. Beyond that, get off the performance treadmill. That leads to fatigue, leads to burnout, and it leads to trusting in yourself so you can control things. The harder I work, the better I'm going to do. So you just give up on that and say, this is going to be about God allowing you to lead me into the Jesus life, not my own efforts. I can be free to rest. I can be free to rest. That concept is what this passage, really the book, but this passage really hinges upon here is that it isn't about my performance here and that there is a concept of rest that that will lead me to an, an attitude of rest that will lead me to work that's simply responding to God and not proving anything and not earning anything. But I get to do it with a smile These last two little sections here of Galatians 3 uh, and the last couple points here, I can be free to rest knowing the fourth point is this. Through faith, not by my efforts, I am chosen by God, loved beyond belief, and adopted into his forever family. I know those are a lot of words to write down, but I wanted you to write them because I wanted you to dwell on them a little bit. I'm chosen by God. I'm chosen by God. God looked at, at you. He looked at you and said, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you because I love you and I created you. You are my choice. And I am, I am loved by God way more than you understand. I am, you are loved. God says, I love you. You don't deserve it. It's more than you can understand, but I love you that much. And, and you're adopted into my forever family, meaning you couldn't get rid of me if you wanted. But why would you want to, right? They're mind-blowing things. Galatians 3, 5 through 9 says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you, and that's God, and works miracle among you, miracles among you, uh, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And we read that before, but now we go on. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We'll talk about Abe in just a second. Know that then, uh, that then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. If you have faith, you're a son or a daughter. Of Abraham, whether you're Jewish or not. Again, we'll talk about that briefly. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, way back to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I just want to take a moment because we could spend forever on the concept of Abraham here, but he's the father of the Jewish nation. He's the father of the, of the Hebrews, God, the father of God's chosen people. God looked out through all over the, over the whole earth and said you to man, I want you, I'm choosing you to be the beginning of a line of people that will be God's chosen people, will eventually lead to the Messiah, not just of my chosen people, but of the entire world of Jesus Christ, and starting with you. And he didn't do it because Abraham had the three-point shooting range of Steph Curry. He didn't do it because he had the intellect of Einstein. He didn't do it for any sort of reason or because he was such a hard worker. He simply looked at his heart. And 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 placed God Himself placed the faith there, and then said, "I'm going to choose you because of your faith." And yes, Abraham did some great things as a result of his faith, but he is honored in Scripture not because of what he did, but simply because of his faith. And so this is the Abraham that we're said, "Hey, we become part of his family." And God's grace that's given to Abraham and, and chosen to bless the world is it's what we can experience as well. It's because Abraham believed God. And catch this, it's on your outline as well. Not believed in God, because we go there a lot. Well, sure, I believe in God. No, believed God, because believed in is very heady, isn't it? Well, I believe in fill in the blank. Well, I understand that to be true. Believing is the heart. I can believe something to be true, but I'm not actually experiencing it, right? I don't believe in that, you know. I truly believe it, and and his belief was a head and heart belief, and that's what we're called to do as well. It goes beyond just intellectual understanding. It's trust and it's faith, and that's what was rewarded. So I'm really a son, or you're a son or a daughter of Abraham, of, of Abe here, if I simply believe not just believe in Jesus, believe Jesus, not with my head, but a whole being. And I receive God's full promise of blessings regardless of my ethnicity, my age, my place in life, my gender, you name it, it's all there. It's all there. And so really it brings us down to this. We can flash back to our earlier points, but I have a choice. I either rely on myself and what I do that's the first one. I have a choice to, first of all, rely on myself and what I do. And you may say, why would I do that? Well, we rely on ourselves a lot, don't we? Most of you drive. You rely on yourself to get you to where you're going, generally safely, right? Uh, you fill in the blank, right? You, you, you do those things, so it's kind of like, hey, I know I can trust myself. In a sense, if I rely on myself though, I try to follow the law, as this passage talks about. That is, I try to be sanctified by what I do, and although it makes me feel in control and sometimes better than others, <laughs> Pastor John mentioned that person had read their Bible in a week. I've been reading it twice a day for six months now. <laughs> okay? And don't get me wrong, it's awesome to read your Bible, but why are you reading the Bible? So that you can feel good about yourself? Or you really want to personally get to know the Most High God who loves you beyond belief? When I'm, when I'm relying on myself, it puts me on that never-ending treadmill of performance, and it puts me under the curse. That scripture in a second I'm going to read, it puts me under a curse for my justification or my sanctification when when I rely on myself. My choice is to rely on myself, or I can rely on God alone, his gift and his grace. Well, that's really my choice, to rely on myself or to rely on God alone. Not, not God plus me. The God plus thing doesn't work. Um, and... Uh, and so when I can do that, then I don't have to worry. No FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. I'm not going to miss out on anything because God's got my best, right? He's got my back and my best at heart. And so there's no curse. Thank you, Jesus, for no curse. <laughs> and and an empowering of the Spirit for justification, for salvation, and also for sanctification, for becoming holy and like Jesus. And the last verses of these passages. They're kind of heady, but I touched on some things. I want to just read through them here, and, and we're going to close with this. Galatians 3, 10 through 14 says... For all who rely on works of the law, remember that's, and that's relying on yourself, are under a curse. That's not pretty. (laughs) For it's written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Okay, and what he's saying there is if you break one little tiny law, you've broken them all. If you can't do it all, you can't do any of it. So you're under the curse. You just flat out are. And now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. Remember, we just talked about Abraham. The righteous don't live by doing good things. They don't. A lot, the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them, and you die by them. In a sense, Christ, and here's a key. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There's a message right there that we could unpack. He didn't just take our curse. He became our curse. Our imperfections. We don't have a prayer. I can't do it. We're cursed. And Jesus said, I'm going to become that curse for you. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Through faith. I can rest spiritually, internally, with real peace because although I'm not, me personally, born a Jew, I think a fair amount of us are also not Jewish here. You don't have to raise your hand. You know, one of God's chosen people and absolutely God's chosen nation. God adopts me into his family, and I'm excited about that. My work comes not to please anyone else. It comes not to prove to God or myself or anyone else that I'm significant. It comes from my place of rest and my mind and my body it can work while my soul and spirit rest in the grace and truth of Jesus. Do you see how that can happen together? So I'm not working to do anything except out of a place of rest. Just follow where the spirit leads me. And, and I can rest in that and not get stressed and be under the curse as it says through this. I just want to ask you as we close, do you need to discover true rest this week? True rest this week. And, and, uh, uh, a release from the pressures that either someone else puts on you or you put on yourself of what you are supposed to do, what you have to do to, to be that Christian, my list? Do you need to know that you're free to rest, free to get off the performance treadmill, and leave control of the outcome to God so that it isn't going to be up to you anymore? If so, you, you have an opportunity today. Let's pray. God, we have the opportunity every day. Um, but it's an opportunity to respond to you. And Father, we have this picture of this hammock up here and and spilled water, Father, even as I look. Uh, you know, to me, Lord, that represents <laughs> me trying to do it and get it done on my terms. Father, we just want to rest. Uh, not be lazy, not do nothing, but to find a place of rest and peace that allows you to do all in us and for us and through us so that our motive then becomes, wow, I can choose to serve. I can choose to give. I can choose to worship. I can choose to get to know you, my personal God, better through scripture and through, through Bible reading, through praying, through all, all the things that are there, God. But I don't have to do those things to prove myself. Lord, lead us to that place of rest. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.